The second passage is, um, in a sense, all of Mark 6. But um, in order to see the text in context, context means con with, so the text with text, text within text, uh, we're going to look, and this is the lection reading at um, uh, Mark 6, uh, verses um, 30 and following, and I ask you to listen for this, the word of God. The apostles, that's the twelve, gathered around Jesus and reported, they reported to him all that they had done and taught, all they had done and spoken, all they had done and taught. So they went out two by two and then they came back. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place so that we can get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary or deserted place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them, the apostles and Jesus. And when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him this is a deserted place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. But without your spirit, there is no understanding. So grant us thy spirit that we might discern your truth in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You give him something to eat. That's one of my favorite passages in scripture. It's so simple. It's like, no, you give him something to eat. Uh, and to really understand that, I think, we need to make sure we understand, as I said, the, the text within the context. We understand the context of the whole thing. Because, you know, without context... Things get put out. You know, there was a discussion this week I heard, uh, seemed a little absurd to me, but uh, successful people. They're successful, of course, because they work hard and because they're diligent and all that. But in order to be successful, you have to have an environment of success. Both those things have to happen. And, and so it is with the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Jesus told the disciples to feed the 5,000, and it was successful, but there was an environment of success that happened within a context. And so I want to look at that, and I want to see that environment of how Jesus fed the 5,000, or the disciples, the apostles fed the 5,000, and, and put the whole thing in context. Like, you know, VBS. Trust God. Let's do that. Trust God. You gotta say that. Trust God. Um, we want the kids to accept the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. But the context is important, the environment is important. So, an environment like VBS, where we're encouraging and modeling, and that's the word I really want to focus on today. Because I think what this passage is about is not simply about a miracle, feeding 5,000 people. I'll say later, anybody can feed 5,000 people, quite literally. But what leads to that, the context of feeding the 5,000, this is basically a passage about discipleship, about modeling, about growing in faith. So let's take a look. In, in the whole context, before we get to the feeding of the 5,000, what we have, point number one, is that Jesus sends the apostles to spread the gospel. So he sends 
the apostles to spread the gospel, sent to spread. Now, what happens? Because remember, this is a passage about discipling, about mentoring, about growing in faith. When you send newbies, which they are, you, you need to prepare them in specific ways. So how does Jesus, I'm getting to the feeding of the 5,000, how does Jesus send them out to spread? Let me create an acronym here because it fits and it works and it helps me remember. The acronym is SENT, S-E-N-T, how they are sent in order to spread the gospel. S, they are given specific directions. These are newbies. These are people who aren't accustomed to speaking about the gospel. So he gives them specific directions. This is in the beginning of chapter 6. Go to a village, speak to them, go two by two, take only what you need, don't take extra when you're done, uh, come back home. If they don't uh, accept your gospel, then leave, don't be moving around. So specific directions, that's the S. E, they are empowered. In other words, they are authorized. I'm going to get on this quite a bit lately, I think. They are not energized. Too often in modern spirituality, we use that word, that somehow we're supposed to get energized, so we have all this energy to do stuff. Jesus never energizes anybody. He empowers people. In other words, he gives them his authority, like an ambassador. That's the word St. Paul uses. We are ambassadors of Christ. So there's no energizing going on. There's empowerment. He gives them his authority to go out and spread. So they are... Uh, sent, they are specific instructions, they are empowered, not energized, they are sent nearby, that's the N word, so specific instructions, empowered, not energized, nearby, don't go to the ends of the earth, that's going to come later, Jerusalem, Judea, out of the ends of the world, so you need more practice, right now, go to the towns and villages where you know it, go to work, go to play, go to the places that you know, nearby, and so, you following me here, in the acronym? Uh, specific directions, empowered, not energized, nearby, T, trust God. Trust God. God will take care of you. God will give you what you need. Trust God, and, and think good things will happen as you are sent out. So, point number one, they are sent to spread the gospel. That's the beginning of chapter six. Now, after they are sent to spread the gospel, they, and this is where it starts in the passage for today, they return in order to report, so they're sent to spread, they return in order to report what has happened on their mission out to the nearby towns and villages. They return to report. And what the text says is that they report, this is basic accountability, this is basic growth. You go out and you do something, you come back, you return to report what happened. They are to report two things, what they have done and what they have preached. Let's look at those two things very briefly. What have they done? The text is specific. They have cast out demons. I know we're living in modern age. And we don't believe in that stuff anymore. But let me suggest, maybe we should. Two quick examples. Anybody who has ever dealt with any kind of addictive behavior, let's talk about alcohol. What does it say on every bottle of alcohol? Spirits. Spirits. And how do you exercise the spirits? by submitting to a higher power. You exercise the demons by submitting to a higher authority, by submitting to God. Maybe there's something to casting out demons. Let me give another example. Anybody who's ever been a victim of any kind of abuse, you know that you were used for who, not for who you are, but because somebody used you for something. 
And one way to exercise demons, those kind of demons, because people who have been abused know the demons that dwell therein. One way, one way to exercise those demons is to speak truth. Use your words. You are valuable, not because you are an object. You are precious. You are loved because of who you are. And if people hear that word, some of those demons will be exercised. And so the disciples came, the apostles came back. The first thing they reported is that, in fact, they exercised some demons. They cast out spirits. And secondly, they preached. And we know exactly what they preached. They preached the gospel that, that Jesus told them to preach. And the summary of that gospel is repent, which means turn, for the kingdom of God is near. That is quite different from the secular gospel we hear today, which is accept yourself and never change. If you never change, then you never grow. Can I get a tiny bit political? Anybody mind? In political speak, they call that sometimes flip-flopping. You should never change your mind. I will never vote for a person who's never changed their mind. That means they have never grown. We repent. We turn. We grow. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. So the two things they did is that they cast out demons and they uh, preached the gospel. They were sent to spread. They returned to report and they reported to Jesus because they trusted in God. And then, because they were tired, because they were fatigued, because they hadn't had anything to eat, because they had been very busy, so they're sent to spread. They return to report. They retreat in order to rest. Jesus says, come apart with me. Let's go to a deserted, lonely place so that we can rest. They needed to rest. Now, I am absolutely convinced that we are terrible at resting. In fact, I think, with all seriousness, the most abused of the Ten Commandments is keeping Sabbath, because we don't know how to do that anymore. So how is it that they were to retreat to rest? Can I do another acronym? Will you forgive me? The ac and it was just because these words fit after I started playing with words. So the acronym is Rest in Peace, R-I-P. It just fits. R. This is what it means to rest, of a biblical understanding. R. R-I-P. Relational. The first ingredient in true biblical resting is that it's primarily relational. They retreat with Jesus to be in relationship with Jesus, with others who are also resting in Christ with other disciples and apostles. So the first thing about resting is it's relational. We do not rest in order to get something else done. It's not a time to do what we haven't done for the rest of the week. It's a time to build relationship with Christ and with the believers of Christ. First of all, it's relational. Second, I, it's intentional. You don't just happen into rest. You intend it. Jesus says, stop. We're going to go rest. That's what we're going to do now. It's intentional. They're obeying Jesus. It's relational, it's intentional, and it is purposeful. And the, that's the P. The purpose of rest is rest. Period. Done. It's not to get something else done. It's not to get re-energized. Oh, I hate that. It is simply to rest. When God rested on the seventh day, he didn't rest so that he could get re-energized, you know, absorb the energy of the universe, or get some unattended business done that hadn't got done in another part of the cosmos. He just rested. And if 
God needs to rest. So Jesus says, let's retreat in order to rest. Relational, intentional, purposeful. So, they are sent to spread, they return to report, they retreat to rest, and as they're retreating, all these people come around them. And Jesus, point number four, last point, Jesus has compassion on the crowds. Compassion on the crowd. Now let's keep this in context. They're trying to go on a retreat. They haven't eaten anything. That's the initial reason to go on the retreat. They're trying to be silent. They're trying to be still. All these people come. Not only that, but in context of chapter 6, beginning of chapter 6, Jesus goes to Nazareth and they laugh at him. His own town makes fun. They mock him. They laugh at him. It's like Joseph's kid. What does he think? He's the Christ? They laugh at him. And then, chapter 6, John the Baptist is beheaded. It's reported that John the Baptist... Now, remember that many of the apostles were, first of all, followers of John. And John is a cousin of Jesus. They love this man. And he's murdered. And why is he murdered? Why does he have his head cut off? Because he repeat, reports that Herod the king is practicing unethical sexual behavior. And because of that, he gets killed. So we have people who are exhausted, people who are hungry, people who are feeling wounded because they've laughed at Jesus and because their dear, dear friend has been killed. And in the context of that, Jesus has compassion. Now let me try to put that in context. I'll report to you my sin, my brothers and sisters. Remember Tuesday? It was about 8 zillion degrees. Actually, it was 100 degrees. And Tuesday, early afternoon, I, uh, my, my son, as you probably maybe saw, had been visiting us. He was in Portland. I was taking my son back to the airport, and I left him at the airport. It's about it's 100 degrees. It actually said that in my car on the throughway as I was driving back. So I'm, I'm kind of teary, I'm kind of sad, saying goodbye to my kid, and, and it's hot, a little grumpy and such. So I, I'm getting closer to home, and I'm in an intersection. True story. A woman in the intersection cuts me off. I, I wasn't doing anything wrong here. She cut me off. This is like a God sighting in the negative. And then her window's open, and she waves at me with that happy little New York City wave, you know? I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, you cut me off and you're saluting me? And so I have about a half an hour ride left, and I'm obsessing on this. I'm thinking, that woman, I hate women, I hate people, you know, I'm everybody, I hate everybody. And, and that's because basically nothing happened to me. Now I'm reporting that because, has that ever happened to you? A little thing can kind of spin you off. John the Baptist, their dear friend, was killed. They're laughing at Jesus, they're hungry, they're hot, they're tired, and Jesus has compassion. I'm kind of thinking, if all these people, I was like, get out of here, don't you see I'm tired, don't you see I got other things going on? But Jesus has compassion. And because I think this is primarily about discipling, about mentoring, I think the disciples are really picking up on this. And so the disciples say, Jesus, come on. Stop talking for a minute, because he's, he's preaching. And send them home, Jesus. That's what the disciples Send them home. They're hungry. And they're, send them to McDonald's, 10 miles up the road. Ten, send them home. 
And Jesus says, you feed him. Can I suggest, can I state, that you and I, as apostles, as disciples of our Lord Jesus, we cannot do miracles on behalf of God. In fact, we can't do great things for God unless, first, we become great people in Christ. That we cannot choose to do great things for God. That's God's stuff. That's God working through us. But we can choose to have great character. To, as St. Paul says, have the mind of Christ. We can choose our character. We can choose no matter what's going on, no matter how we feel, no matter how cruel people are, no matter how busy or tired we are, we can choose to have compassion, to trust God. And if we choose that, then God, I believe, will honor us. And God will do great things through us, not because we've chosen to do great things for God, but because we've chosen to have the compassion of Christ, because we have chosen to be obedient to our Master. Anybody can feed 5,000 people. McDonald's, remember, I'm picking on McDonald's, Remember they used to have those signs up like 8 trillion people or hamburgers or pieces of junk sold today or something like that. Remember they used to have that? They don't do that because the number kind of crawled all the way down the... Anyway, if McDonald's can feed 5,000 or trillion people, anybody can do it. But not everybody can be people of great character. And that's the choice we have. To submit our lives to be like Christ, no matter what people do, no matter how we feel, no matter who we are, Trust God and have his compassion, his love, his patience, his kindness indwelling our life. God will do great things. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you are showing us your patience is immense. And we can change. And you are changing us. Lord, our hearts are open. All our love is given to you so that we can become, slowly and gradually, more like you, our Lord and Savior.